Welcome to CPF Firewire, a podcast from California professional firefighters where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve. Hi, this is Brian Rice, president of the California Professional Firefighters, coming to you with another CPF Firewire. And joining me on the podcast today from our 39th Senate District in the state of California is our pro tem of the Senate, Tony Atkins. And I will say this, I work with a lot of, uh, we work, there's, we have a lot of relationships politically and, and we do things together. Um, you meet people in life that every now and then you just make a connection. And Tony is one of those folks for me. We not only have a working relationship, um, we've been able to share some personal things and personal times and it, it just adds to the depth of the business that we do. So Tony, I just wanna say thank you so much um, for joining us today and, and just kind of talking about um, the issues that are facing California. Well, Brian, thank you. And uh, let me just say back at you, uh, it's really great having you as a partner and working together through these difficult times. And you know, it's really about relationships and how you connect. And so I appreciate you and I, I really am looking forward to today. Tell me a little bit about your journey into politics. Um, how did Tony Atkins find herself as a senator in the state of California and not just a senator, senator, a leader of the Senate? Well, Brian, I think uh, you know, you're a leader if people let you uh, be a leader and, and allow you that privilege. You know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, really pretty poor in substandard housing. Sometimes we didn't have running water. I watched my parents work harder than anyone uh, that I've ever known, but still struggle to get by. And so, you know, in this day when we're looking at things like stimulus checks, I remember when my parents got one stimulus check decades ago and what it meant for us living paycheck to paycheck. You know, I come from a strong military family, although I could never serve because I was an out lesbian. Uh, all of my family members did, including my twin sister. So public service was a different kind of path that I could take and still have the ability to be part of something bigger than myself, something that growing up, I wasn't sure I would be allowed to be. You know, I didn't think society was really about me growing up in poverty. But, um, you know, I moved to San Diego because my sister, my twin sister was in the Navy and um, to support her and help her uh, at that time. And I met Christine Kehoe, who uh, really... Uh, was the first open LGBT person elected at the San Diego City Council. And she really opened my eyes to what uh, was possible uh, for elected office, especially when it comes to things like constituent services. She encouraged me to step out from behind the scenes and to run for office uh, after she uh, turned out of city council. So I would say with her membership or her mentorship, excuse me, and the mentorship of others like Karen Bass, who was a former speaker and who swore me in as speaker. I don't think I'd be where I am today without that kind of support. Uh, and she gave me this opportunity. I will forever be grateful. Uh, there's nothing like, as you know, and all of your members, there's nothing like the ability to be part of public service and to provide support uh, to community and to people. It, it, it's so interesting that Tony, that you mentioned public service and that whether, whether you're doing it in public safety um, or you're doing it as an elected official, um, I think we all have a gene to be public servants. 
in in one fashion or another. Uh, another. Even you saying that you know I come from a long line um, of military and being unable to serve because um, you were out as a lesbian woman in California. We know that that's not the case today, or it shouldn't be. Um, but it's just it, it. I find it fascinating that we're all geared in that service mode. No one bit of public service is more important than another. It all fits together as a team. One of my favorite Martin Luther King quotes, he has so many, but the one I love the most is where he says, anyone can serve. You know, you don't need a master's degree or, a, you know, to serve. You need a heart that is willing. I paraphrase, but a heart that is willing and, and the desire. So I couldn't agree with you more. I'm going to swerve just a little bit. And um, I want to talk about the LGBTQ community and what we've seen in our nation and what and kind of what we're seeing. And this is where I want to hit because it's important not only as a society, but it's important in the fire service as a fire service family and public servant leadership. How do we force or how do we build a new attitude and a new recognition of each other? based on who we are and the fairness and the justice that we all deserve. I, I would just love to pick your, pick your brain on that and get your thoughts. What's important? What do you think as a high level state leader um, and a member of the LGBTQ community, what do you think we should put in, in front of ourselves as importance? You know, I grew up in Southwest Virginia in a rural community pretty conservative part of the state of Virginia. I grew up, uh, you know, my, in the church. I, my parents always sent us to church, whether they went or not. Of course, I came out at an early age, LGBTQ, which was in and of itself very difficult. Fortunately, I always had the love of my parents regardless. My parents always loved their kids. You know, didn't matter. Uh, you don't abandon family. But I would say I learned from that because now I live in San Diego. San Diego used to be a little more conservative, so to speak. It's all relative. Uh, it didn't seem conservative to me coming from Southwest Virginia when I landed in San Diego. But I, I would say one of the things I've learned now at age 58 is that, um, you know, we all have stories. And, and my story only matters in the context of how it connects to your story and where we can share what, what, what is our shared experience? And are we going to really listen? I, you know, everybody says, oh, one of the skills you need to have as a leader is to listen. But then we go on and we don't listen, you know, uh, many times. And I think um, more than anything, actively engaging and listening to what someone else has to say and to hear them with an open heart. I know that sounds kind of, you know, out there, but it's really true because, when you look at, at George Floyd and you look at what the African-American community has been telling us for hundreds of years, we need to hear each other. We need to listen better. And we need to understand that we all have some sense of blinders on. The, the phrases we use today are implicit bias or intersectionality. You know, where I come from, no one understood what intersectionality meant, but they knew what it meant to be poor, and struggling with, with getting your children taken care of and a good education and what intersectionality is, what implicit by it is, it just really means we need to be more mindful of our peers, of their experience and understand that I may not understand your experience as a firefighter, much less a white man or, or whatever, however you identify. 
But I think listening to each other and, and understanding that we all have some blinders on, it maybe not intentionally, but we got to step back a little bit and, and, and make room, make room for each other. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, it, uh, it, it does. And this discussion so applies to today's fire service. Um, it's a group of men and women. Um, we are not as diverse as we need to be. Let's just not try to pretend that we are. We're not as diverse as we need to be. We're not um, as representative um, in gender, in orientation, in ethnicity. A big part of our success is exactly, Tony, what you just said. Stop and listen. And then be a part of that change. You know, it all starts, it all starts with you and the community that you live in. And um, I, I just, I appreciate that. Those are such good words of wisdom. But you know, Brian, here's the struggle I think we have. How do we make space for others and not feel left behind ourselves? I think that's the dilemma of what we're facing today, that we all want to be part of something. And, and yet, you know, it seems like we have to give some space away if we're to allow true equity and equality. And, and it, does that mean bad things for me as, as a, uh, you know, a Caucasian woman where you don't see that there are enough uh, Asian Pacific Islander women or African-American women or whoever, Latino, you know, is there enough room for all of us? And I, I have to say, we've, we're gonna have to figure out how to say that there is room for all of us, whether it's the fire service or an elected office where we don't have parity representation between men and women, but how do we not leave anybody behind and how do we not lose ground? And I think that's the fear. People react out of fear. I'd take a step this way. We each have to make room. You know, you're, well, I'm not giving room or I'm not giving you, no, I need to make room. I need to make that space to bring others and to bring that diversity. When you make that space, you're rounding out and you're strengthening your abilities to do whatever your mission is, fire service, policing, political, when you invite others to, to be a part of what you've been a part of, it, it enriches and it strengthens. This is a conversation that has to happen and, and what better time. And, um, you know, I will say this and, and um, I'm going to take advantage of the moment. You know, the CPF has, um, we've just begun to institute a human relations committee um, commission so that we, in, we, we work with every gender, orientation, ethnicity, um, include and be inclusive of all members that potentially could enter the fire service as a, as a profession. And I'm already going to tap you to be um, kind of a special liaison for me. I think it would just be great. Um, your leadership position, your life's experiences. You, you could add a lot of oversight leadership if you were willing to consider that. I would love to um, have you be a part of that. Well, thank you. I, I would love to be in. You know, I was on the city council in San Diego when we hired our first woman fire chief, uh, Tracy Jarman. And uh, she, I think, I think it, I, I might be a little off, but I think she joined uh, in 1985 and she never forgot the story of standing in line to register or whatever the process was to become part of an academy. And a number of the women firefighters and, and you know, um, our first African-American uh, fire chief in San Diego. I was on the council when he would come give public safety reports. So 
you know, I know what it means uh, to different people to be able to serve and how proud and how wonderful it is to be able to step up and offer what you have for the greater good and particularly first responders. You know, what a privilege, what an honor. And, and I just felt so proud to see them succeed and to know that, you know, Tracy Jarman was the best. She wasn't just a woman put into a position. Her firefighters, her team supported her. And that was evident. And that was even more incredibly wonderful to see the support that she got from the members of the fire rescue team in San Diego when she was selected. You know, we have more work to do. And just, just to have this conversation, I, I really hope that it it hits the ears in our service, both on the floor and um, in the administrative and the leadership positions. We can be better, we can be stronger, and, and we can be closer and more together. Being, being in the Senate, and we've all been faced with COVID in the last, uh, we're into it by a year. I'll, I'll ask you kind of a two question. What do you see as the most pressing issue um, uh, in the COVID-19 front for where we stand today? What, what do you feel like should be our next, say, two or three priorities? And then for you as a Senate leader, how has this altered the last year of um, your leadership and working within the Capitol? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll take, uh, I think, the first uh, question. Um, you know, I think the priorities before us are going to continue to be how we're taking care of working families, those with lower incomes, those who are vulnerable, uh, small businesses that are struggling to keep their doors open. Uh, you know, we've been busy since January. You, you know, it's usually a, not a busy time in Sacramento, January, February, uh, first of a two-year session. But the pandemic has really highlighted in a very real and visible way the inequities as well as, you know, the issues that face or Californians are confronting. It's a unique opportunity, though, to address inequities at the core. And, and I'm talking about things like access to health care, including PPE, testing, vaccines, access to telehealth, uh, sick leave, broadband. We're, we're certainly working hard to get teachers and kids safely back into the classroom, something that is huge when you, you deal with inequities and access to opportunity, providing schools with resources, support that they need to, uh, to make that happen. Um, certainly, we've dealt with renters, evictions release, small landlords, support to pay mortgages, um, stimulus release for low-income Californians, and relief for small businesses. We've expanded the Cal EITC. That's an incredible program uh, above and beyond uh, um, what we thought we'd be able to do. Uh, last year, of course, in 2020, we did SB 1880, or 1383, sorry, which allows up to 12 weeks of family leave, including those who are caring for a family member who's sick or with COVID-19. Now on a separate uh, note and apart from family leave, we passed uh, last year 10 paid sick days for workers uh, last year, and we just this year extended that uh, through September. So we have been incredibly busy. And on the local level, each district up and down the state, my district team has been assisting with EDD unemployment claims. We've solved more than 1,800 cases uh, uh, closed. You know, it's been the hugest uh, issue dealing with unemployment and, and folks who've lost their jobs through no, no fault of their own. So, you know, those are the kind of priorities. Now, as a leader, 
you know, dealing with the, the impacts of, or well, the Senate leader, the pro tem, the practical challenges of COVID-19 uh, and continuing to operate, I would say that, again, I'm going to go back to the issue and the word communication has been key. And, and I've learned during this pandemic uh, that it necessitates more communication, not less. Uh, our work has clearly been different. No more in-person meetings, in-person events, in-person town halls, those things that we elected officials kind of live for. Uh, but the key is that we're still doing all of those things, just virtually, like you and I today. Um, it has taken flexibility, some innovation, and certainly patience. The virtual nature of the work has really opened up our legislative process, making it more accessible to the public, actually, which is, I guess I would say, the silver lining. But I would leave you with this. Uh, if COVID had struck 30 years ago, I can't imagine the impacts that we'd be feeling a year later. The disruption to our economy, governing, daily lives uh, would pale in comparison uh, if it occurred in 1990 or even 2000 before we had the technology, I think, and the innovation to really work through it. Um, so it's, it's just been constantly pivoting. As a firefighter, you know, and a, and a member of the firefighter union, we negotiate our contracts and we do that. But I also have a lot of family members that um, don't work in public service and work in the private sector. And I want to thank you and your colleagues in the Senate and the Assembly and the governor for the protections that um, our political advocates, our elected officials put in place for the spectrum of workers in California and Californians, the sick leave, the ability to care for a loved one. And you kind of touched on it, Tony, that it's a super big deal. And um, the leadership that's been, that, that's been shown, I, I just, I feel like each of us is, as a Californian, um, we have, I have a debt of gratitude and thanks um, for how we're coming through this and, and the, the difficulties of it. And that leads us right into the fire season. And you have been instrumental um, with the firefighters um, in wildfire um, prevention, response, funding. We could have spent two hours talking about diversity and inclusion and COVID. And, and those are two huge weighty problems that we're facing. And then, and then we have wildfire, which is equally um, as weighty there you did something for firefighters that I, a few years ago that I think most don't really remember, and it was Senate Bill 1086. And the importance of that bill from recognizing the latency period of uh, line of duty cancer, number one, I wanna thank you for that. Just kind of, if you can go back in time, your thought process in, in allowing yourself to be involved in and carrying our torch. Well. It was an incredibly important bill, and, and I got to say it was really incredible and great working with you on that. You know, um, I think it's pretty near impossible to quantify the value of our incredible firefighters, because the truth is, uh, you know, each and every one is invaluable. Uh, you know, you put your lives on the line every single day, and this fire season that has become year-round, it, um, it was definitely front page news and television news when we lost a firefighter in any of these fires. I don't care what part of the state it was. Um, you know, I was in San Diego on the city council when we had the fires in 2003 and 2007, which sort of was the unfortunate cutting edge of what was to come in the rest of California. And I remember, I remember firefighters coming from all over the state to help us. 
And, um, you know, sacrifice barely scratches the surface of what firefighters have had to do. Um, and each day they leave home, I think we're more mindful now than ever before about what it might mean for them not to be able to return home. So I, I think it's, you know, it's because of firefighters that we still have redwoods that touch the sky. Um, we still have farms that continue to produce food. We are the food basket of the world here in California. And, and that many of our homes still stand. I will never forget, I just visited a friend in Rancho Bernardo, um, the trails where when we finally went into her neighborhood, her house was standing, but the one next door was gone and the one next door was gone. And it was just the oddest thing to see one house standing. And I saw that up in, um, I saw that up in uh, the Son county of Sonoma during the glass fire and some other fires. So, you know, we really rely on the first responders and I think it's become very clear how invaluable. So when you look at um, the piece of legislation, um, you know, it was really important. And now we have firefighters that have also been on the front lines confronting COVID since day one, which is why it's important. I think that worker compensation and that whole system is adjusted to better support firefighters and their families. You know, my dad was in World War II. He was, he was out in the middle of the Pacific when they were doing testing of chemicals. All his life, he had issues and, and finally was able to get disability uh, three months before my dad died, three months. So when we talk about um, worker-related injuries, expediting uh, access to full benefits, medical, hospital, surgery expenses, disability, death benefits. You know, those are really important things. And I know last year, you know, I supported SB 1159, I think it was. Uh, that was a Jerry Hill bill that extended the presumption and uh, for COVID-related injuries. So, you know, those are things we need to continue to pay attention to. Um, you raised the red flag a, a couple of years ago around PTSD. Uh, and mental health issues for firefighters as we began to see fire season year round, which meant there was no reprieve and no respite for firefighters, always on the go to the next fire, to the next fire. And so, you know, and now we've got pandemic fatigue, which is real, which is real. And, and so I think um, as climate change continues to really exacerbate and we realize these wildfire risk. We have to ensure that firefighters have the long-term resources, you know, uh, that makes our whole system stronger. And that means good benefits. It means mental health support. It means equipment. It means looking at issues facing local government, you know, and supporting local government on issues like ingress and egress. It's not that simple. It's not just fighting fires. There's all kinds of related issues. And I want to continue to be your partner in, in looking at those issues, as do my colleagues. Yes. It, it's interesting going forward. I have a couple of um, symposiums I'm going to speak at on on wildfire response, and and we've actually seen quite a shift um, to talk a lot about fire prevention. And you know, if you if you go to most firefighters prior to this, we'd all kind of ah, we don't want to talk about that. We put them out. You know, we write on big red and do that. But fire prevention um, has become such. Um, a need and an important part. And I can say um, under Governor Newsom's leadership and your leadership, our, our legislator legislature 
and the governor have done more in, in the last probably three years than ever before, especially in some of the areas of, I don't want to say easing, but some of the sequel requirements, being able to fast track some of the prevention. What do you, what do you see going, going forward in the future that we can work together on um, prevention-wise? Or is there something you feel um, as a senator from the 39th District of San Diego that maybe you see in your area that, that I'm not seeing we should pay attention to and, and partner with? I think we finally uh, managed to shift gears from reaction to prevention, and we understand that now. We understand we've got to get ahead of it. You know, earlier this month, uh, the Senate announced our blueprint for a fire safe California. The Assembly has uh, a different approach, but we're all trying to do the same thing. Ours is uh, sort of a multifaceted, I would say, maybe four-pronged approach to wildfire resiliency response that's going to be accomplished, I think, through the legislation uh, legislation and legislature and the budget process. About $550 million uh, budget framework that would be expedited, hopefully, ahead of the June budget. And that's going to be continued resources to train and deploy a fire resiliency workforce added to what you know we've done in previous years, implementing modern day things like vegetation uh, management, forest management, community hardening plans, expanding access to homeowners insurance, uh, not necessarily your issue, but it's relevant. I think despite having an interrupted legislative session last year, uh, we passed a budget that further enhanced the prevention uh, piece and suppression efforts. That's, you know, the new firefighters I've heard you talk about, um, seasonal firefighters, uh, the California Conservation Corps crews, more funding, support, money for local governments to respond to public safety power shutdowns. And I will say our investor-owned utilities have a huge role to play here. And I will point to San Diego Gas and Electric in the work that they've done. Now, they have a much smaller area than, say, PG&E up, up here. But what they follow in the fires I mentioned in 2003, 2007, you know, they started to look more seriously at smaller grids, you know, that can go offline as the wind conditions and Santa Ana's, those kinds of things. And to make sure that there's support in place for communities to make sure that we have done the uh, working with the investor owned utility, with the county, with fire services, Cal Fire, big part of what we do in San Diego County to really monitor and to put those monitors in place and have the, the emergency center that's able to really respond. And, and that came out of, tr- of crisis and tragedy. So in addition, you know, it's, it's uh, more than $30 million for wildfire safety, uh, you know, reform, some of those things. So more and more, it's, it's resources and it's money, but it's also collaboration and, and learning to work together. And so, all kinds of things, helicopters, equipment, you know, those things we have to continue to invest in and realize you got to keep it up to date. It, it's been interesting, some of the collaborations that we've done, um, both with um, elected leaders and then industry and then um, uh, envir- environmentalists in the environmental lobby. And I think for the most part, it, it, it appears to me that we're all working together you know, we'll, we'll always have kind of the one or two offs, whether it's the timber industry, you can't cut everything down and sell it or the environmental lobby. You can't save every, there's, you can't save everything. There's responsible managing. And I, I feel like I'm seeing more of that than ever before. And it, it's, it's kind of heartening kind of going forward. It really is going to be the prevention piece 
And we don't talk about it enough, but last fire season, do you realize we made it through a fire season with no or very little minimal COVID impingement? That, that in itself from um, uh, OES, municipal departments, CAL FIRE, um, the legislation that um, was put in place to protect people, nobody's ever stopped to say that was nothing short of a miracle that, that we, and meaning we collectively as a team from the governor right down to the tailboard firefighter and all the leaders in between put systems and process and policy in place that kept people safe. I, I, I even think with the number of evacuations, we didn't have a huge COVID issue. And, you know, that's going to be one that we collectively, Tony, you and myself as a fire service labor person, we have to repeat that for this fire season. There's as as tough as stuff can be. There's so much for us to be thankful for. What are some of your legislative priorities that you have for the coming session and how can we help you um, accomplish them? Well, thank you. Uh, Clearly, Brian, you know, we all want to do the best that we can by our constituents, by our state, our families. Uh, are we perfect? No. You know, we we try things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. We have to pivot again and change. But, you know, I think um, the thing that I want more than anything is, is really to reaffirm a, a reputation of the Senate. That is my goal for my caucus uh, and for the Senate as a whole as a thoughtful and responsible body of legislators. We are responsible to the public. You know, we've taken some early budget actions uh, to meet the most pressing needs. Again, renters, mom and pop landlords, safely reopening schools, those kinds of things, lower income families. You know, as budget chair, um, Senator Skinner is gonna lead us to an on-time final budget in June. I know we have multiple tiers we have to go through. And we want to continue to take responsible steps and include meaningful improvements. And we're going to have to do that with you. And we need your your feedback. I, of course, have a priority to work on our housing crisis. Um, It affects all of us. You know, we have a situation where housing prices are very high and the cost of living is high. Uh, I want to make sure we get uh, we've got six bills, at least at this point, that aim to provide more land use tools, flexibility, to meet needs of local governments, our community partners, and, and to provide housing and to yet again streamline in a way that tries to tackle the crisis quicker. You know, I want to push back on sea level rise. That impacts your work. Uh, sea level rise impacts communities in ways that we don't think about or understand. When a firefighter or a paramedic has to respond to a cliff that falls into the ocean, in Encinitas, California, and kills three or, you know, members of the public, you know, that impacts public safety, that impacts first responders. Um, when we have a rail line that is, is severely close to the, the edge of the bluffs in Del Mar, and that is the second busiest rail line. These are climate change issues related to sea level rise. I wanna work on those things. I wanna to continue to work on issues regarding police reform to, to, to throw a, a broad net. I'm proud to be a a joint author on SB2, which is Senator Bradford's bill, which would hold officers who engage in serious misconduct, serious misconduct, accountable. And then lastly, to the topic we've talked about a couple of different ways, I want to make sure we continue to expand access to health care for everyone in California. Um, 
unforeseen benefits, you know, of the pandemic has been the expanded use of telehealth, which, which we need to make sure that we are trying to take advantage of a crisis to expand the services. Broadband. Now, that is something that is broadband critically and access and the ability to communicate is very important to first responders. We, we saw that. And uh, so continue to work on all of those things. But I think it really overall, I, I want to know that we are considered to be responsible partners um, seeking out solutions together to our most vexing problems. And I know that there is no limit to what we can do if we work together. And if we're open to possibilities that are different than what we might have looked at before. Senate President Pro Tem Tony Atkins, my friend, um, a colleague, I so appreciate um, the chance just to sit down and talk. One issue we didn't even get to hit was your leadership on Prop 19 and um, securing a funding source for um, special districts that were underfunded in the state of California. It's a two, it's a two-piece process as we have to work on um, uh, the funding or the augmentation piece of it. You were instrumental in that. Um, your leadership, probably for me, that was that was I got to see firsthand legislative leadership at its finest. And, and it was just I can never thank you enough being able to partner with you, being able to work alongside you, be guided by, and um, and just partner not only uh, Tony with you, but with the Senate, uh, the Assembly, and, and, and ultimately um, the voters. I would have to say we had the best branding possible. We had firefighters. Without your leadership, without your role played in that, we would not have been successful. So again, it comes back to partnerships and how we use the resources we have. And frankly, the brand of Firefighter uh, is, is one of the best uh, brands available, particularly as we have faced the wildfires. So uh, it wouldn't have happened without you and without your members. So uh, look forward to finding other ways to partner. I just wanna thank you, Tony. I know you're busy and taking the time out of your schedule and with COVID and everything that's surrounding us, um, just the chance to partner with you and work with you uh, for me has been uh, very fulfilling. And with you as well, Brian. And thank your entire team. You have a great team. I want to thank um, Senator Tony Atkins for being with us on this edition of the CPF Firewire. I want to thank our listeners. And I would ask you to look forward to the next edition of the Firewire. And with that, um, everybody have a great day and a great week. Thank you so much. You can find CPF Firewire at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. You can also find CPF Firewire at the CPF website, www.cpf.org, and on the CPF YouTube page. We're always interested in getting your feedback, comments, and criticism. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. Drop us a line, info at cpf.org. CPF Firewire is a production of California Professional Firefighters. Our producer is Carol Wills. Our engineer is Matt McDermott. Please join us next month for another edition of CPF Firewire.